Hey listeners, as many of you know, we endorse a lot of products here at Crack Rackets, and while we believe in all of them, I can personally offer a wholehearted, full-throated endorsement of our newest product, our newest partner and title sponsor here of our Great Shot Podcast, and a product I used all too often growing up as a tennis player. It's our friends over at Turna Tennis, makers of the world-famous Turna Grip. Now, Turna Grip is the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched by any other product in the tennis world. And of course, I'm talking about that trademark, iconic blue colored grip that you can see on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros across the world. Their mega tack grip, the tackiest grip on the market. If you would like to get yourself a pack of Turner Grip, you can find it anywhere you buy your tennis products, or you can email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. That's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. Turner Grip, truly the tackiest and truly the best grip in all of tennis. Welcome to The Deciding Point, our Cracked Rackets weekly breakdown of the biggest storylines going on throughout the tennis world. It was a busy week on both the ATP and WTA Tour. We had three highlight events on the men's side, two on the women's side, and of course, another action-packed week ahead of us. Joining me to break down all of the action, as he so often does, is our Cracked Rackets do everything for father of the forehand slice, Jamie McDonald. But with that in mind, let's get to this week's episode of The Deciding Point. All right, Jamie, we've talked about her a bunch since the start of this 2021 season, but Garbin Muguruza continues to get the job done. She earns her first title since 2019, winning in Dubai this past week. Now you look for Muguruza. She is now 41-11 and 11 since the start of the 2020 season. Of course, she has an Australian Open final to her name, a couple of Dubai and Doha finals here this year, and more importantly, Jamie, she, in my opinion, has looked like the second best player in the world other than Naomi Osaka on a hard court really over the past 15 months. Now, of course, she had match points against Osaka this year at the Australian Open, so I don't think it's too crazy to ask you this question, Jamie. Is Garbine Muguruza the second best player in the world right now in the women's game? Yeah, I, I think so. Look, she was my favorite to win the Australian Open. Um, you know, Matt Stikoyak and I, we went back and forth on this one. We saw they were going to line up in the draw, and we both said, you know, hey, the winner of this match, I think Osaka was the three seed, Muguruza the 14. We said, hey, the winner of this match, got to be the favorite to win the whole thing. And, and sure enough, uh, Osaka won this. So absolutely fair to say, Garbine Muguruza has looked incredibly solid, and, and it's great to see her return to this peak form. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, her four losses this year have come to Petra Kvitova last week, Naomi Osaka in Australia. She also lost to Ashley Barty in one of the warm-up events, and then to Maria Sakkari, who was so good to start this season in Abu Dhabi. More importantly, it's just the variety of things she can do on the court, right? Her speed, her length, her power. It's a little bit of everything. She really sort of embodies, in my opinion, the modern tennis game in the women's sport, and what's so impressive for 
regard being Muguruza are, I suppose, so scary if you are her opponents down the road. It's the fact that she does have that French Open title. She does have that Wimbledon title, so we can end this segment here. Would it surprise you if she wins a Grand Slam in 2021? Because to be honest, in my opinion, she might be the favorite entering the French Open. No, not at all. I think, look, even if it doesn't happen at the French, you know, it could happen at Wimbledon. She's won it before. And also we've seen what she can do on a hard court. So she's got a shot at the U.S. Open as well. So she has a legitimate chance and should be considered um, in that sort of favorite pool for all three of the other majors this year. So no, would not surprise me one bit. Yeah, she dropped one set this week in Dubai. She was clearly the best player from start to finish. Wins over Mertens, wins over Sabalenka, the final over Krejcikova. Garbin Muguruza earns a much-deserved title to really put that feather in her cap again. 41-11 since the start of 2020. She has been spectacular. All right, Jamie, we're going to talk about Garbine Muguruza and Dubai and the South American clay court swing separately, but there were a ton of ATP and WTA level results for us to sift through from the past week. You look at the hard court action at the premier level. We had Daniil Medvedev earning the 10th ATP title of his career in Marseille. We also had Sarah Cerebez Tormo earning the first WTA uh, title of her career in Guadalajara. We had a Jeannie Bouchard final in Guadalajara, Pierre Uzerber pulling off a ton of upsets in Marseille. The most notable performances from you over the past week were from who, Jamie? Well, you mentioned it there at the, area, uh, at the very end. Air Bear has looked really, really solid. I mean, that win over Sitsipas, what was that, a few days ago now, was mm-hmm. super impressive. And I, I think you were the one who was talking about this. But we forget this guy's a good singles player, right? We, we know him notably for the doubles, all of the big titles he has won with his partner, Mahout. And we see the hands. We see the movement. We know he can play dubs. But, man, this guy can play singles, too. And especially you get a little home uh, home action, indoor hardcore. Guy is super dangerous. So I hope he can carry that momentum because he, he's a really fun player to watch when he's doing it right. That's a great call. He didn't just beat Tsitsipas. He took it to Tsitsipas. And what's so impressive about Pierre Uzer-Bear is how his game seems to translate across surfaces, right? It's not just on hard courts where it works best, although I do agree with you. I think on the indoor hard courts is where he's going to look his best or maybe even on the grass courts. But we saw him have success on clay last year. More importantly, you know, sometimes you see doubles players in the singles draw, singles players in the doubles draw, and you're just like, these guys don't belong. Pierre Uzer-Bear is just a tennis player. I completely agree with you. He has looked phenomenal of late. Uh, you know, some of the other notable performances, that was a match Tsitsipas really could have won uh, to knock off Air Bear. He took the first set. He served for it 5-4, got broken, but then ended up taking it into a breaker. You thought he was going to pull away. He wasn't able to do that, but still, uh, I agree with you. Speaks more to Air Bear. On the women's side, quickly, I'm going to kind of mesh Dubai into this as well, Jamie. It's a continuing theme. You know, last week it was Kvitova Muguruza. This week, it was Krechakova versus Muguruza, but you see, you know, the Sabalankas, the Mertens, the Pagulas of the world continuing to make deep runs. I just think at this point, if you don't understand the parody in women's tennis, you're not following the game closely, right? It's just every week it can be a new name, regardless of where or what surface the event is or where it, what it's on. It's just, I, I feel like it's incredible, Jamie. Exactly. And I think it's a little bit different from a few years ago when, you know, you'd look at a big draw and you'd see some name and you'd be like, oh, that feels like a fluke. 
right now, none of them really feel like flukes because yeah. it's like, yeah, I can legitimately back up why that makes sense. I may not have predicted it, but, you know, like Jill Teichman making deep runs, yep. um, you know, people who have looked good in 2020 now moving into 2021 and carrying that forward. Like you mentioned, there's just such a long list of names on the w, on the WTA side who, I mean, it's just crazy right now. So that makes it extra fun, especially when we get to these large events, because it really is a crapshoot. Anything could happen. Uh, but again, that, that's what makes it entertaining for us. You nailed it. It's not a fluke. All of these women are that good, right? Marie Buzkova, another semifinal for her in Guadalajara. She transferred it over. You mentioned Teichman. She finally beat Coco Goff in a quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've played three times already this year. You're absolutely right. It's not that it's a fluke run one week or the other. It's the fact that there are these many competitive and excellent women competing in the women's game right now. And yeah, it makes the WTA Tour a fantastic place to be uh, for tennis fans in 2021. All right, Jamie, I want to spend some time talking about the South American clay court swing because we've had three ATP 250 events swing through South America, three different champions across the three weeks. Now, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone to learn that Diego Schwartzman competing on the clay, able to win one of the titles. Now, it was his first title on his home soil of Argentina, which is always a cool thing, but he captured one of the three titles. You also had Christian Guerin, who has made a living at the South American clay court events earning his title last week in Santiago but there are always some funky runs come this time of year we did get that in the opening week as Juan Manuel Serendolo the talented 19 year old Argentinian able to not only win his first ATP match but win his first ATP title in the same event and that got me thinking and I called you beforehand and you were like yes let's explore this topic on today's show the South American clay court swing What is its relevance to the ATP schedule? It's always happening simultaneously to the indoor hardcourt events in Europe. It happens in the buildup to the Sunshine Swing, Indian Wells, and the Miami Masters. Now, of course, there is no Indian Wells this year. We are still playing amidst a pandemic, and I suppose any uh, any event on the schedule is a good thing for us tennis fans. But, Jamie, my question to you is, you know, twofold. A, how much relevance do you put in the South American clay court swing? B, do you think it's located in the right part of the schedule? Yeah, so I have mixed feelings about this portion um, of the season in general. To answer your first question, I think it really depends on the player. There are some times where I can be like, "Mm, yeah, okay, a great clay quarter won and did something. You know, and, and to me, I can kind of brush that off. And, and that's not disrespect to that draw or what's going on. But sometimes, you know, am I going to carry, am I going to put as much weight or as much stock in a result down there as I would at, 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 with the other big events going on right now? I, I just don't know. Um, and look, I, I love clay court tennis. So this is a really fun break for me. It's really fun to bounce back and forth between an indoor hard court and a clay court. I really enjoy that as a tennis fan. But in terms of what I think, you know, projecting from those tournaments into the rest of the year, I don't know. In some cases, like a Christian Guerin, I think, you know, you see it. And the question always becomes, and one that we try to talk about is, okay, we saw it on the clay. What does it mean for the rest of the season? You know, we're consistently, consistently asking that question. And so I think it's good for setting those up. It maybe allows us to see players in a different light. It allows lower ranked players an opportunity. Uh, but much further than that, I, I have a hard time determining, you know, and saying, hey, this is really important. Um, and then to answer your second question, excuse me, that was long winded on A, but part <laughs> no, B. No, I love it. Um, 
I don't know because I don't really have a good solution. You know, you th- you think about the rest of the ATP calendar. I don't know where else you'd put it. It's quite cool. honestly, yeah. No, I, I think you're completely right, and I apologize for cutting you off because you nailed everything in your answer. I would echo all of those sentiments and say, of course, there are instances where the results are relevant, right? I think it was in 2019 where FAA made a couple of semifinals and finals on the South American clay court swing, and that was a big deal in his young career. You mentioned Christian Guerin. You could probably throw Casper Ruud in that conversation as well. He made his breakthrough on the South American clay, and then you do get to see guys like the Sorindolo brothers or Sebastian Baez or you know Federico Cordy is always good for a run this time of year and those sorts of things are fun absolutely or last year was Tiago Sabath Vild who emerged with his first ATP title and it's always good to give outlets to young players or players who just don't enjoy the indoor hardcore swing but to your larger point are we doing an indoor hardcourt season or not? Are we going to have guys playing in Marseille and Doha and Dubai and all Provence all simultaneously? Because if we're doing that, the pools of these ATP events, it just doesn't always feel right to call them a 250, right? Because And, it, and if you're offering 250 points, but these draws are featuring a majority of players, you know, ranked between 75 and 125, you know, it's just, it, you could make the same argument about an event like Newport, right, on the ATP side right after the U.S. Open. That draw is always on the softer side, and it's just what do you do with those sorts of events? It's a tricky situation. In a pandemic, I say you try and roll out as many events as possible. In an ideal situation, why not just play the South American clay court swing simultaneously to the European one? All right, Jamie, let's preview this week's events on the ATP and WTA Tour. We've got two going on on each side. The men going to be in Acapulco and Dubai for a couple of 500-level events. The women going to be in Mexico and St. Petersburg as they've got a couple of 250s as well. Now, it's not often that you call me super excited about tennis. Usually, you're the one reining me in. But right as we got on the phone, you said, Alex, you have to look at this week's ATP 500 draws because of they're spectacular. Let our listeners know what they have in store for them. I mean, it's nuts. Look, even from the first rounds of these all the way into just, you know, possible blockbuster matches and, you know, the later stages, it's, 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 it's incredible. I mean, look, it's a ton of fun to have any tennis right now with COVID and sort of emerging from this, but to get treated to this many good matches, I mean, look, I, I could spend 10 minutes just reading down the draws and what I think. <laughs> uh, but I mean, even tonight, you've just got clashes between people like Sverev and Alcaraz, FAA and Sandgren, Stevie, maybe he can do something against Laszlo Jerry, Chilich and Sebastian Korda. I mean, there's so many good matches. And so I think that's for me, regardless of the draw, whatever draw you're looking at, you're going to have an opportunity to see a phenomenal match. And so that obviously as a tennis fan, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, Medvedev in action in Dubai as well, Rublev in action in Dubai, so it's across the board, and it's going to be from start to finish, right, because the action in Dubai is going to be done around 10 a.m., 11 a.m., maybe even noon, and then you'll get right into the Acapulco action for the men's side. I agree with you. All of those matches are headliners, and we'll talk about it all week long in our mini-break podcast. It's crazy to me, again, that the WTA Tour continues to power on, especially given how many events they've had here early in the season, but 
I mean, still, you get players like Sloane Stevens making her return. The fact that she's the one seed feels a little bit crazy. I feel like it'll be most shocking if Sloane Stevens wins the event this week. Nevertheless, she's the one seed. Paderowska, the two seed over in Mexico, over in St. Petersburg, I believe. It's a Katarina Alexandrova who uh, is coming off of a first-round loss to Clara Tossin, who ended up winning the event as the one seed. Tossin in action this week, but of course, uh, the two seed Veronica Kudermatova there, who's been so good of late. So yeah, a really high-level events from start to finish. We should have some exceptional tennis. Uh, if you're giving me one player to watch, Jamie Willentier, give me the one player you're watching most closely. I mean, on the women's side, I think you just mentioned her. It's got to be Tossin. She has a really interesting yeah. match tomorrow against Kasekina um, that I think is going to be really fun to watch. And beyond that, I mean, she can just explode through these draws because, look, there. I mean, there's some good names in these draws, but it's not overwhelming. You know, there, there's no reason she should be incredibly intimidated by these draws. She has every ability to move through this on the pure tennis. So I, I think she's my player to watch on the WTA side. Men's side? <sighs> There's a I, lot. I know. Yeah, it's, tough. it's really it's really hard to select just one on the men's side. I think maybe Yannick Center. I think he's gotten a little bit quieter. Um, you know, there was a lot of hype around him, and you know, obviously now he's in stacked draws, playing against the big boys all the time. He's no longer just um, you know making some run. Uh, so now he's there's some expectation behind him, but um, he'll be in action. And you know, he's had a couple of tough breaks with his hard draws, but now he's going to have a chance to maybe make a run and get some good matches in. So I'm going to be watching Yannick Center. Mm-hmm. I would echo your sentiment on the women's side. On the men's side. I hate watching the other half of this match, but what is Carlos Alcaraz on a hard court? He qualified in Australia. He had so much success the 17-year-old on the challenger level to end last season. Can he do it at the ATP level, and can he do it on hard courts that he's playing? He who must not be named in the first round, that has my attention. But yes, as you mentioned, it's going to be a fantastic week of tennis uh, for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. All right, Jamie, it's time for our deciding point. And as much as we abhor the cliches here at Cracked Rackets, we are well aware anytime one of Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, or Serena Williams takes the court, it's the story all of us in the tennis world are monitoring most closely. And for all of us tennis fans, we had the return of a 39-year-old Roger Federer in Doha this past week. Federer able to grind out a three-set win in his first match against Dan Evans before dropping a three-set match to eventual title winner Nicolas Basilevsky. Now, you know, we'll talk about all the other stuff in podcasts to come that came out of Doha, but let's focus on Roger Federer here on the deciding point. He hasn't played in a year, Jamie, yet he plays two three-set matches here. Unfortunately, such a wear on his body that he pulls out of this week's Dubai event. Nevertheless, the deciding point has to be this. What did you think about Roger Federer's return. Yeah, I mean, look, he looked pretty solid. I mean, Dan Evans is somebody who's been really, really good over the last 12 plus months. Um, and, and so to get a win over him, regardless of who you are, your stature, um, you know, your physical state is, is somewhat impressive. And Dan Evans didn't play a bad match either. Now, I think mm-hmm. Federer obviously saw a lot of Dan Evans because they've been hitting together quite a bit. So I'm sure that adds a little wrinkle in the dynamic. But no, I mean, in terms of competing and being able to win points, uh, Federer looked pretty good. I, I think. 
in that Basilishvili match, you could kind of tell uh, Federer was not quite there physically. I mean, he basically tanked the second set to try and have a shot at the third. Um, and he did have a shot at the third. Realistically, he could have won this match. Uh, so obviously disappointing to see him go out in that fashion. And then, as you mentioned, have to pull out of uh, the next event. But no, Federer looks fine. And I think he's just saving himself for the big tournaments. That's he, he, He's not been shy about that being his plan at this point. So I think everything's kind of going along with expectations at this point. Yeah, he's been very clear. It's all about Wimbledon. That's what he has circled. And if that, if you're a Fed fan, you look at this week as absolutely a sign of progress. That he played two three-set matches. That was the goal. Play two physical affairs. See how the body holds up. See how you recover moving forward. Now, to your point... Anytime he got stretched into the outer thirds, you saw a guy who hadn't played a professional tennis match in over a year, right? And the good news is you didn't see a 39-year-old who hasn't played a professional tennis match in a year. It just looked like a guy who hasn't played a professional tennis match in a year. But there were still moments when in the outer thirds he'd hit the incredible on the run for, you know, the forehand still looks great. The backhand, particularly the backhand return, it feels like his struggles were amplified this past Mm -hmm. week. But of course, again, he it not only is he returning after a year, he's 39 years old. And I think my concern is he does look a little bit more susceptible to just being overpowered than he would have the past two or three seasons. And again, some of that's just a lack of match play right now. Some of that's the fact that he does continue to get older with every passing day. But when he has time to set his feet, when his first serve is landing, he's still Roger freaking Federer. And for him to be showing this sort of level at 39 years old, it's just sensational. Thank you for watching this clip from our episode of this week's Deciding Point. If you need to catch up on anything else that has happened in the tennis world, be sure to head over to our website, crackrackets.com. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the heck of a job he does editing all of our content. But with that in mind, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.